This morning's scripture reading will be taken from Luke 23, 44 through 49. Luke 23, 44 through 49. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. When the sunlights fell, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they, had saw, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. story is told of an old man who was a faithful Christian his whole life, and, and it was near the end of his life. He was at the hospital, and the family called the preacher to come visit uh, and be with them during that time. And when the preacher arrived, the, the room of that man was just filled. There was all family and friends were present to be there with him, and so the, the preacher had to squeeze into a little spot uh, near the head of the bed next to the man. And while he was, uh, just shortly after the preacher got there, the old man began to struggle. And the old man began to gasp, and the old man, you could tell, was just near the end of his life. And so the family was attentive to him as he motioned and indicated he wanted something to write on. And so the preacher gave him a piece of paper and a pen, and the old man scribbled out a message and handed it back to the preacher. And then he passed away. And in the chaos of the moment, the preacher just happened to take that note and stick it in his pocket and didn't think anything of it. A few days later, it was time for the funeral. And as the preacher was finishing the message that he presented at the funeral, he remembered that that note was still in the, his pocket, and he was wearing the same suit that he wore while he was at the hospital. And so, so he pulled that message out and announced to the, the, uh, those present that he had that note. He made mention of it and said he was going to read it for the first time and share it with the audience. He slowly pulled the note out of his pocket, opened it up, and read it aloud. It said, move, you're standing on my oxygen tube. <laughs> you know, last words can be very important. Last, last words can be profound. They can uh, be the legacy of a life well lived. Last words can carry a lot of meaning. And Jesus' last recorded statements are no exception. He spoke seven times. None of those statements were very long, but all of them were very rich with significance, as one author said. In a moment of compassion, he looked down from the cross at, at the crowds that had gathered below, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To the thief that was crucified next to him, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. To Mary, his mother, he said, Woman, behold your son. And to John, his faithful disciple, he said, Behold your mother. As he bore the weight of the sins of the world, he proclaimed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as his body was succumbing to the physical torture he had endured for so many hours, he said, I thirst. And after being given something to drink, 
he proclaimed, it is finished. And finally, with his dying breath, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with that, he yielded up his spirit, as Matthew said in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. And this morning, I want to focus in on those very last words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because in those words, we see some very powerful and meaningful messages if we peel back the curtain. Jesus' last words, first and foremost, were words of restoration. This may not be obvious looking at his statement, but when you consider everything that has happened in this time period at the end of Jesus' life, you'll understand what I mean. It's important to think back to the events of the last hours of Jesus' life, because one thing you'll notice is that in those last hours, Jesus was in constant communication with the Father. You can journey back to John chapter 17, where Jesus is in the, in the midst of his last communications with the apostles. And in John chapter 17, before he makes his way to the garden of Gethsemane. He has one last prayer to offer. It's in John chapter 17 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And went on to pray through the remainder of that chapter. And then prior to his arrest in the garden, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And while he was hanging on the cross, the very first words out of his mouth, as I've already referenced, appear in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, and they were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was in constant communication with the Father during those last hours of his life. But then something happened. We're told that darkness covered the land for three hours, and it was in the midst of that darkness that for a brief period of time, Jesus stopped referring to God personally as Father and started referring to Him formally as God. We're told in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46 that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Now we know that is a quote from the book of Psalms. But it's worth noting that this statement where Father was changed to God appears during that darkness. And what the darkness along with this change of title seems to indicate is that while Jesus bore our sins in his body. He was separated from the Father who hides his face from sin, as Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 tells us. Something happened. Something made Jesus change from Father to God. But before he died, 
Jesus addressed God as Father one last time. When he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in so doing, he signified that his relationship with the Father was restored. Whatever happened during the three hours of darkness was over, and the Father and the Son were one again. That idea of restoration, I think, is significant because it reminds us that Jesus was always in the restoration business. Jesus restored a blind man's sight in Mark chapter 8 and verse 25. Jesus restored sanity to a demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. Jesus restored functionality to a man with a withered hand in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 13, as well as a lame man in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 31. Jesus restored social standing to the leper and a hemorrhaging woman. Jesus restored livelihood to a widow whose only son had died. Jesus restored life to Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. And Jesus restored Peter's confidence when he asked him three different times if he loved him in John chapter 21. Jesus was always in the restoration business, repairing what once was broken. And maybe you need restoration today. Maybe you're in a position where what you really need is something to be repaired, something to be healed, something to be restored. Maybe you've received an unexpected, scary diagnosis, or maybe you've been enduring a medical ailment for a long time and you need restoration. Maybe you've been hurt or wounded by people you trusted, people you loved, and you don't know how to deal with pain, and you need restoration. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. Many of us never expected to be in the situation in which we found ourselves, and the stress, the anxiety, the fear, and the worry are just overwhelming. And what we need is restoration. Maybe you've wandered far from God, or or maybe you've found yourself enslaved to sin, and and you need to be restored spiritually. Well, Jesus is in the restoration business. He's the one who said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus' last words are words of restoration. And they remind us that he is about restoration. Maybe that's exactly what you need today. But Jesus' last words were also words of trust. With his dying breath, Jesus quoted from the book of Psalms once again. When, When he When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting from Psalm chapter 22, but but now in this instance, he quotes from Psalm chapter 31, particularly verse 5. But to fully understand the impact of this quote, we should read it in its entire context, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. 
Let me never be put to shame, and your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your namesake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the nets they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. This psalm is a a beautiful declaration of trust in God by David. David calls God his refuge, his strong fortress, his rock. And what David is doing is praising God as the one in whom he can take shelter. The one in whom he can find protection. The one in whom he can receive deliverance from his enemies. And because of that, David petitions God to not only lead him, but also to rescue him. So when David says in verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit, he was entrusting his life and his future to God. In other words, he's declaring that no matter what happens, he trusts that God is in control. And as Jesus repeats that very phrase from David's psalm. He's doing the same thing. Now think about how this verse applies to Jesus' situation on the cross. For the past several hours, Jesus has spent his time under the direction of the hands of those who opposed him. At the Last Supper, After Jesus indicated that one of the apostles would betray him, he said, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And prior to his arrest, Jesus warned his disciples that the time had come for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Then Judas led a mob into the garden, and that mob then laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Then, during his trial before the high priest, one of the officers standing by Jesus did not appreciate a response Jesus made, and as a result struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? After interrogating Jesus, Pilate then came to the conclusion that he was innocent, but was so concerned about the Jewish leaders inciting a riot that he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, declaring, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. And when the Roman soldiers obtained custody of Jesus, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then struck him with their hands. And Peter, referring back to the crucifixion in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, said that Jesus was killed by the hands of lawless men. You read through those last hours of Jesus' life and he's being directed and handled and controlled to some degree by the hands of other people. But here in his dying breath, he's acknowledging that he's no longer under the direction of the hands of his opponents. Instead, he's acknowledging that he is under the direction of the hands of the omniscient. 
When Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, he's entrusting himself to God's care. He's declaring that what happens from this point forward is up to God and no one else. That all of this is orchestrated by the one who knows and sees all. And when you realize what Jesus is saying, you realize that he's bringing to completion the prayer he began back in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. That prayer of surrender is being upheld by Jesus when he dies on God's terms and when he declares into your hands, I commit my spirit. The Bible provides an interesting metaphor for the relationship between God the Father and us as his children. It's in Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 6. For the God told Jeremiah, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. The thing about clay is that, that clay lacks control. It has to surrender because clay is at the mercy of the artist, of the potter. Only the potter can direct it. Only the potter can mold it. Only the potter can form it into a work of art. And God declares that you and I are clay, and he is the potter. And even his son, when he hung on the cross, is making that de declaration because Jesus understood that surrendering his life to the Father's will was what was most important. Because he knew that the Father knows best. And so with his last breath, Jesus surrenders. Jesus modeled for us the mindset that we should possess when it comes to our relationship with the Father. Because Jesus here surrenders, speaking words of trust. And maybe today you need to surrender. Maybe today, like Jesus, it's time for you to acknowledge that God knows best, and it's time for you to give God control of your life. It's time for you to surrender. Maybe you've never turned over your life to the Lord. Maybe you've never denied yourself. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Him. Maybe you've never put on Christ in baptism so that your sins can be washed away. Maybe today is the day that you need to surrender to the Lord by confessing that Jesus Christ is his risen son, by repenting of your sins and by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. Maybe today is your day to surrender. Just like Jesus surrendered in those words. But not only did Jesus communicate words of trust and words of restoration, but he also spoke words of hope. See, when Jesus said these words, when Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he knew the end of the story. Jesus knew 
that his death was not the end game. Jesus knew that there was something else. When Jesus said these words, he knew that the resurrection was coming because he often spoke about it. Back in Matthew chapter 12, between verse 38 and 40, when the scribes and the Pharisees asked Jesus to show them a sign, Jesus said, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus went on to present this sign, saying, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then after Peter's great confession in Matthew chapter 16, we're told that Jesus began to teach them that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and killed, and after three days rise again. And when Jesus was en route to Jerusalem and nearing Jericho, we're told in Mark chapter 10, between verse 32 and 34, that once again he began to tell the apostles what was to happen to him. And that included him being condemned to death by the chief priests and scribes and him being delivered over to the Gentiles who would kill him. But it also included that after three days he would rise. And after Jesus cleansed the temple, John tells us in John chapter 2, verse 18 through 21, that the Jews asked Jesus for a sign to authorize his actions. And Jesus responded by saying, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And with those, while those who, who heard him thought he was talking about their place of worship, John goes on to point out that he was speaking about the temple of his body. See, Jesus routinely spoke about what would happen after he died. Jesus repeatedly announced his resurrection. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us happened. One of the best summaries of what happened following Jesus' death is provided by Peter in his Pentecost sermon. In Act, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter, addressing the Jews in Jerusalem, said, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he goes on to quote from Psalm 16, which was authored by David. And picking up in verse 31 of, of Acts 2, Peter says that David spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Instead, this Jesus God raised up and as verse 33 says, exalted him to his right hand. The point is that Jesus knew physical death was not the end. Jesus knew that when he committed his spirit into the hands of God, God would raise him up. God would exalt him to his right hand. And so when Jesus breathed his last, he not only indicated that the intimate relationship between him and the Father had been restored, not only did he indicate that he was surrendering to the will of his father, but he was also communicating hope. The hope that what comes next is greater than what just happened before. The hope that this wasn't the end. That in three days, the story would continue. See, Jesus died for us, but Jesus also rose for us. He's not still in the tomb. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that gives us hope. 
Because Jesus declared in John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. If Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, then that means he's preparing a place for us. And if Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, then that means he's coming back to get us. All that means we have hope. And maybe that's what you need today. Maybe you just need hope. Hope that there is indeed better than here. Hope that what is forthcoming is greater than what has been. Maybe life has been unkind and unfair to you. Maybe it's been difficult, challenging, disappointing. And you need to be reminded that there is a hope we have because of what Jesus has done for us for a far better existence. A place where there is no more pain and there is no more death and there are no more tears and there is nothing else to be afraid of. Maybe you need hope that there is something better. And when Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he was acknowledging that hope because he knew that when he turned himself over to the Lord, he would return three days later, alive, resurrected, and ready to ascend back into heaven where he came from. Maybe you need to be reminded of that hope. Whether you need to hear words of restoration, words of surrender, or words of hope, we find them in Jesus' very last statement. I heard a story about an elderly woman who invited her preacher over to discuss the details of her funeral. I, I know this is another funeral story, but bear with me. She wanted to make some arrangements before she passed away. And they talked about her favorite hymns. They talked about her favorite passages of Scripture and some of her favorite memories. And when it seemed that they had covered just about everything he would need to know in order to do her funeral, she said one more thing. She said, when they bury me, I want my Bible in one hand and a fork in the other. And the preacher had to ask, why do you want to have a fork in your hand when they close the casket? And she went on to explain that how much she enjoyed all of those church dinners, those fellowship meals, those potlucks, those dinner on the grounds, whatever you want to call it. And she said, I remember at the end of the meal, they would always come around with trash cans and you'd be throwing your plates in, but the person pushing the trash can would always say, hold on to your fork. She said, when they told you to hold on to your fork, I knew that the best was yet to come. And I want to go out that way. Proclaiming, in my hand, that the best is yet to come. Now that's hope. But 
But such hope is only available to those who fight the good fight, who finish the race, who keep the faith. And so today, Jesus' last words remind us that if we haven't been restored, it's time to do it. If we haven't surrendered, it's time to do it. And if we've lost our hope, it's time to regain it. This morning, as we're gathered here on this Lord's Day, we turn our attention to what Jesus Christ has done for us, both in his death and in his resurrection. Realizing that because of him, we can be restored and we do have hope. If you have any need to respond to the invitation this morning, then we invite you to come while together we stand and sing. Longer. this morning. I want to thank everybody for being here at uh, this worship service and just hope everybody has a great time celebrating the Easter holiday this afternoon. But I want to ask that you join us again this evening for our 6 uh, p.m. worship. Please uh, make your attendance known uh, with the QR code in front of you, whether you're a visitor or a member. If you're a visitor, please stick around. Let's get to know you a little bit. Um, our closing song this morning will be number 523, Our God, He is Alive, number 523. <clears throat> There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He
thankful that you allow us to be here together today. Thank you for this country where we can worship you freely. And Father, as we start experiencing this time of year, we're thankful for this and thankful for the opportunity that we can see um, the change of the seasons, the restoration of um, life back into the, um, the greenness around us from the trees to the grass to the plants. And we're thankful, Father, that you give us the knowledge and the wisdom through your word to see that you are in control that everything that we need you have and you will provide it for us we just have to turn things over to you father and father we're also thankful for your son and our savior jesus christ and and the hope that we have through him that one day we'll have a home in heaven with you with him and with all the saints and father we thank you for this time once again we ask that you'll be with us as we go throughout this day then we'll all be back together again here tonight and it's through jesus name we pray amen <laughs> 